When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Here we are back in full force. Week one football. It's time for the regular season breakdown. As the Ravens beat the Browns yesterday, 6-38 to 38 in a game with no fans. Kemi Cusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing great. Um, I flew back to Maryland this weekend and kind of and surprised my dad Saturday night showing up at his house to stay with him and watch the game on Sunday with him. So I had a good weekend with uh, family after a long, long time of not being around. So that was cool. That's, that, that does sound cool. And you, so w- would your dad normally have been at the stadium and couldn't couldn't go because of the empty seats? No, we've watched games together for, for years on TV. And we go, don't go to a whole lot of games, but just watch them on TV together, my dad, my brother, and I. So um, last year we did a lot over like uh, FaceTiming each other during the game and syncing our TVs up. So since I didn't make it back for any baseball games this year, I had some uh, credits with the airlines. And then flights are really cheap. If you want to fly, now's the time to fly. 
as I got a round trip to Baltimore for 60 bucks. Oh, that's terrific. So, yeah. Can you buy in advance at those kind of prices or those are only good until, I, you know, November 15th or something? I don't know. I just logged in and looked to see what the flight was. And when it said 60 bucks, I said, well, I can't turn that down. Let's go. Good deal. So, all right. Well, joining us tonight is a guy who's been on here many times who doesn't need an intro, doesn't need a uh, kind of guide on what we're doing here. But Michael Crawford's back. Michael, how you doing? I'm doing good, Josh. It's good to be back. Uh, I guess I'd be the opposite of what you hear on the radio, right? Sports talk. Sometime I'd be long, long time listener, multiple time caller, uh, <laughs> or something along those lines. Uh, but but good, uh, good to be here and uh, and happy to to talk about football. You know, that's that's pretty awesome. One of my favorite people in the whole world to talk football with, Michael. You know that, and uh, you're at Abukari on Twitter, A B U K A R I. That's correct. Uh, still, still sporting the same handle uh, until further notice. Okay. <laughs> still right. encouraging people to look that up. In Absolutely. Terms of their history. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's and, do it. Hey, school's back in. You know, let's get in the habit. Let's do. Let's do a little homework out there. Right. And I will continue to make Michael spell that each time, so I don't have to. Ken's so, got. Ken's got it. He nailed it. Yeah. All right. Great. Ken can handle it. I'll continue to rely on you. Um. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm excited. We're all excited that football is back. We didn't go through preseason, so that made things weird. So my question for you guys before you guys really dig into the game is how weird was it for the two of you to go into a game with no fans opening weekend, with no preseason to prep for this game? Did you see anything that stood out generally because of this? Lots of things stood out about the game itself. We're going to get to a lot of that, I think. But I think in, in terms of the environment, one of the things you really notice is the parabolic mic is needed just to pick up a little bit of a hit on the field during normal crowd noise. But in this kind of thing, that that those hits echo through the place, it seems like. And they definitely echo hard through the parabolic mics. Yeah, I I would say the the you know no no fans there when they had the tighter shots of the field and the guys on the field I, you know obviously you don't you don't see it you don't have a feel for it but when they take those wider shots that's when it really hits you and you're looking at these huge stadiums with very few uh people in them if there's anybody in the stands it's like um uh, you know stadium personnel uh that kind of thing so that 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 does kind of shock you when you see it but just in terms of the on-field play um that all felt pretty normal I would say, but um, to Ken's point about the mics, uh, and I hope this continues. I think you get to hear some pretty cool stuff uh, at the field level from from you know players talking. And you kind of always hear that, right. but I think you hear it even more now uh, because you don't have the crowd noise kind of in the background and maybe uh, drown some of it out or bleed it out. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, a few extra curse words here and there. <laughs> yeah, I, I I actually think they probably need to take the parabolic mics off the huddle. Because they, they, I, I was definitely hearing jargon from the huddle that I didn't think I should be hearing, <laughs> and uh, and that kind of bothers me. But anyway, it, uh, it, it is what it is, and uh, obviously a, a strange game in a lot of ways. But the Ravens, in in you know the way I saw it, they lost the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, and they still won thirty eight to six. I can never remember another game like that. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, if 
people have been listening to me over the preseason or seeing me on Twitter, they know I've been sort of a closet Browns fan, uh, <laughs> just in terms of what they've been doing this uh, off season. And so on the defensive side of the ball, particularly in the run game, I, I, I can't say I was really all that surprised to see what the Browns were able to do in the run game. Um, the pass rush for the Ravens, or lack thereof, I guess we'll get into, that was a little more surprising. Yeah, surprising. I think that the the Browns have retooled their offensive line. They've got two new tackles, Conklin on the right side, and Wills, Jared Wills, who was what drafted somewhere near the top of the draft, anyway, 15th, whatever it might have been, uh, for the Browns. Uh, he was at left tackle. He didn't really, honestly, I didn't think, play great during the game. He had a holding flag during it, but he did play well enough, and then they lost him at the beginning of the fourth quarter. So uh, Browns may not have the great offensive line for some of the rest of the season. Yeah, it was unfortunate uh, to to see him go down because, like you said, you know, it'd be typical, typical you know, of what you might expect from uh, a rookie, even a first-round rookie starting his first game, uh, add in no preseason, you know, some ups and downs, but overall pretty solid. But uh, they got two guys on the interior in, in Joel Batonio and J.C. Treader who are really pretty solid guys. Wyatt Teller at right guard, a young guy. Uh, who, who I thought showed pretty well in this game. And then Conklin, uh, we know him from the Titans, the right tackle. Uh, he's, he's obviously pretty solid too. But more than the personnel, uh, for me, you know, I always look at the coaches, right? So it's Bill Callahan as their offensive line coach, 45 years as a coach, 22 in the NFL. He's been an offensive line coach specifically for 15 for four different teams. I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head, but he's 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 been a head coach at Oakland, at Washington, at Nebraska in college. Uh, guy's got a wealth of experience, and you can just look at some of the run games for those NFL teams where he was the O-line coach, and when he shows up to coach an O-line, the run game typically gets better. So uh, that that is really where, you know, that feeling that I had about why well, I expected them to run the ball well, that's really where that came from. Yeah. Well, the, the Ravens overcame – Losing the ball, losing the trench war on both sides with a great day from Lamar in part. I mean, just an unbelievable day. And Lamar under pressure in this game. Passer rating, I don't know if you've heard it, 140 under pressure. That's that's pretty good, right? It's absurd. I mean, (laughs) 158 is high as possible, and he was nearly perfect. And we're just scoring the offensive line before we got on on this Skype call to do this. And... He's under a lot of pressure and making completion after completion after completion under pressure. It's just it's very impressive. Uh, and uh, and the, the, unfortunately, the Ravens offensive line did not play well in this game would be my overall judgment of the situation. We've got a couple of players who were OK, but um, in general, they, they weren't good. Um, I thought the Browns made a lot of unforced errors in this game, which I, I hate this, but I have this kind of a formula article I've written about three times already on the Browns and how they, you know, piss away a game to the Ravens. And yet it seems to keep happening. Yeah. You you can't, you can't turn the ball over as much as they do and expect to, to win games. Um, You certainly uh, are probably going to have a hard time winning. And as we saw this Sunday, you're going to have a hard time even staying competitive. So uh, they had the three turnovers, one of those on special teams, which, you know, is near and dear to my heart. So I was like really excited about that one. But even deeper than that, um, you know, Ravens stopped them twice on fourth down. And and really, you can make a case there could have been three more turnovers. Um, could have had an INT on Harrison's tip ball. Yes, that, uh, absolutely. That I, that I think hit Clark's hand. 
um, Peters, that PD where he cuts yes. in front of right, that, that could have been an interception. And then Clark's forced fumble on Hunt that Hunt was able to, to recover. Another good one right at the goal line. Yep. So, I mean, it, it, it was bad. It could have been worse for the, for the Browns in the turnover department. Very true. And Beckham had the big drop on fourth and whatever it was, two, five, whatever the, the situation was, but it was a first down that, that he dropped on a fairly easy throw. Uh, then he had the face mask when he gained a yard. So it was, it was already, I think it might've been first and 15. He gained a yard on the pass and then he face masked uh, Clark or whoever it was in coverage of him. Might've been Humphrey as he, as he went up. I said, no, no, it, might be, oh, it was on that side of the field. It was probably Peters, it was Peters, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it was Peters. So anyway, that backed him up and that ended up leading to third and 41 eventually where they, uh, they weren't able to make that work out, of course. <laughs> Uh, but but it, it's just a, a series of very stupid things. But the one I want to talk about for a moment, since we want to get back to special teams, is that ridiculous fake punt. That, th- there's so many things wrong with it. I don't I don't want to start. But one thing that got me was just the visual aspect of it. Now maybe there's less distractions in the stadium, but I'm not too distracted. I don't think by the fans anyway. I'm very focused on the play on the field. And what I saw was a punter who did not look like he was setting up to punt when he was in there. And, you know, you know, punters have a very strict regimen. They get in there. They may take one or they may take two, you know, two steps forward, pretend to punt the ball, get back in position, right, get ready to take the snap. This guy, you know, the Scottish hammer or whatever he's called, <laughs> uh, Gillian, uh, he went back there and he's not even he didn't even practice the punt. He's just kind of swaying from side to side on his foot. It's like, well, what the hell is happening now? Well, anyway. I'm not the only one to pick this up, obviously. Anthony Levine, who is normally like a battle-tested 20-year vet sergeant out there trying to keep his troops alive and you know surveying the battlefield in different ways anyway, he saw this going on, and all of a sudden he goes ballistic, and he starts pointing to players and moving around them all. And, you know, he, he knew it was coming. And then you saw from his own movement that he was exactly ready to mirror Gillian on the play and be over there to be he, – he actually recovered the fumble, but Fort got in position to make that beautiful hit and avoid two blockers on the play. Yeah, the Scottish hammer got hammered uh, by L.J. Fort on that play, and you're right. Uh, it started with Levine, and then, you know, they, they just recognized that so early, um, you know, what that was, where the ball was going. And uh, I, I just – I don't know, man. I mean, look, I, I'm all for aggressive play calls. Don't get me wrong. But you got to do something uh, to to you know maybe hide that a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, when when you're calling fakes and stuff like that on special teams, it's probably because you you get a certain kind of look uh, from the opposing team, and so you think, hey, this is a good look to run a fake against. But um, I, I don't know what that look could have been. But anyway, Ford gets out there, and, and man, it was it was a tough one for for number twenty three for the Browns. I think that's Sendejo. Yeah. First, yeah, first Fort sheds him right as he tries to block him. Then uh, Fort puts his his helmet right right on the ball because I would imagine punters aren't practicing ball security a ton. No, uh, and then he pops the ball out of there. Then then Sandejo twenty three has a chance to recover it. He misses the recovery, and uh, the the Ravens are able to get it. It's a rough rough play for Sandejo on that. If that's him, I just remember the jersey number. It was twenty three. Uh, yeah, twenty three Sandejo. And then obviously the 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 punter. Uh, the ball security issues uh, were were troubling, <laughs> to say the least. Now he's 
he has played he did play in 2019 it looks like yeah he did play 16 games in 2019 so he's got 63 career punts i was thinking this might have been his first career punting effort which would have made that all the much worse but all the more browns uh obviously a a, a you know a, a real questionable judgment i don't know if he's faked one before or not but it's it's like a slow developing run play to snap the ball that far back and then expect the guy to try and get four yards for a first down. I mean, it's just a it, it's a very slow developing play. Things got to go right for you to make that work. Yeah, I think we gotta we gotta file that one away in the back of the of the playbook, uh, maybe for the rest of the year, maybe forever. But definitely, <laughs> we don't want to see that one anytime soon again. I don't think. All right, just want to make clear your loyalties here when you say we there. You are a Ravens <laughs> fan, right? I know you have a Cleveland background way back when. Uh, I am a Ravens fan. Uh, I am from Ohio, from a family of Browns fans in Ohio. Uh, so that's sort of where it originates. But I'm also a big fan of Andrew Barry, their GM. He's a guy whose career I've kind of followed as he's made his way up uh, sort of scouting in front office departments. And so I was really excited uh, when he got that job. And I think... I think he can get things moving in the right direction from a personnel standpoint. Now on the field, hey, that's anybody's guess and uh, not off to a great start uh, uh, this past Sunday. All right, let's go move on while we put that loyalty question mark in Michael's <laughs> in Michael's file here. It's a strong oh. question mark, a, a strong question mark. I, I accept it. I embrace it. <laughs> okay. All right, one of the great things I love in the first game of the year always is to see what new Wink Martindale has added to the playbook over the last year, and he did not disappoint again in this game, both in terms of what he took out of the old playbook, which I was surprised by, or what he added to the playbook, which is new stuff as well. So we'll talk about a little bit of that uh, as we go through these packages one by one, and feel free to free associate with your stories for the game, Michael, as we as we do this. Uh, I'm going to start with the one jumbo package they played at the goal line, which was a little different than what we've seen before from the Ravens. We have occasionally in the distant past seen two defensive backs only on the field, but this was, it's normally been three safeties and eight other heavies on the field, four down linemen and four other linebackers, two outside, two inside is what you get with three safeties. And they didn't do that this time. Instead, they had one safety still on the field, Clark specifically, and they had Humphrey still on the field, I guess, because he's a very physical player uh, and, and gives them something in coverage. But the third safety role was taken up by Chris Board on the other edge of that line. The safeties normally line up on either edge. They're the um, eighth, the first and eighth man on the line of scrimmage on your typical goal line alignment. But Board, in, in this case, uh, was picked out as the guy who blew the coverage on either of two players is the, what the problem is. Uh, but there, there really was not a good follow across the formation from LJ Ford. It would have been to cover Bryant who moved across the formation. They honestly had Joko and Bryant at two levels and the way it was set up, one of those two was going to score. Yeah, that was, that was a tough situation and you, 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 you hit on it. They called board out. Um, very specifically during the broadcast. But with the way they flooded that area the, of, of the field over there, I don't think he really had had much of a choice. And you see that uh, uh, pretty often, obviously, from uh, from the tight red zone or like, the you know, inside the five for sure, that teams are going to sell out for run. Right. 
because it's such a high run tendency there, especially with personnel, especially with field location. So a lot of times you're going to sell out defensively versus the run. So if you get any kind of play action, it's really hard to recover against it. Uh, and, and particularly in that situation where you flood that area with two receivers and you basically got one guy there uh, who has to make a choice. So, um, you know, just kind of, a, you know, cir- circumstances kind of just came together to make that tough. But um, fortunately, ended up not not really hurting the Ravens too much in this game. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the touchdown. Uh, you know, it was a little unfortunate, but it, they, they had a pretty good chance to score anyway, obviously. Let's move on a little bit. They, they played the base defense. 20 times. Now, part of that is is a is a uh, the tendency of the Browns to run mostly 12 and 21 personnel in this game. A lot of 12 personnel, a lot of two tight end one back sets. Uh, they did play some with both Hunt and Chubb on the field together, but it was a lot of a lot of 12 primarily, uh, and they did play some with a fullback as well. 20 snaps of base in this game, and let me give you a little bit of background on that. The Ravens played their 20th snap of base defense in week five last year. So they played six against Miami, zero against Arizona, one against Kansas City, 12 against Cleveland in week four in that horrible game where Cleveland ran all over us. And then, see, I used us there to refer to the Ravens instead of the Browns. Thank you. Thank you. That's the way we do it on this show. (laughs) And and in, in week five, they got two more to pull themselves up to 21 base snaps for the entire season in week five. That's uh, that's really telling uh, when, when you, you frame it that way, where it took them that many games just to get to 20 snaps of base personnel. And they got the 20 just in this one game, but it also um, gives you a pretty clear illustration of how well, we'll see if this continues, but at least in going into this game, how, how the Browns wanted to play, um, you know, Kevin Stefanski came from Minnesota. He was their offensive coordinator there last year. Uh, worked a number of years there with Gary Kubiak. Ravens fans, we Ravens fans, uh, will be familiar with Gary Kubiak from, from back in 2014. And so we know about that that stretch uh, zone, outside zone run game and, and you know, the, the two tight end, um, you know, personnel groupings. So obviously that's the way Cleveland wanted to play. They wanted to get those bigger body types on the field. Um and that's going to force you to sort of match up from a defensive perspective, right? How are you going to you start to ask yourself these questions? How are we going to match that? Are we going to play nickel? Like playing the Ravens. Play? Yeah, exactly. How are we going to match up? How are we going to are we going to play nickel? Are we going to play base? What are we going to do? Ravens chose to play base. Yeah. So well, a little bit of the funny results from this, and it's funny, strange, not funny, haha, from a Ravens fan's perspective. They gave up 11 runs for 67 yards. That's a relatively small sample size, but that's still 6.1 yards per carry given up by your base defense, which is basically in there to stop the run. Unacceptable. Yeah. Okay. But the good news is they also passed uh, nine times for only 26 yards against the base defense, 2.9 yards per pass. So in total, 20 plays, 93 yards, 4.7 yards per play, pass, mix a pass and run. That's plenty good enough to win in the NFL, certainly today, is 4.7 yards per play. So overall good, very poor versus the run. They made some, some, some pretty significant mistakes, and they weren't their only mistakes against the base defense. That was only about half the yards they gave up in the run game was, uh, was while they were in base. Yeah, and I, I don't know if both of these runs came against their base. I know the 29-yarder to Chubb was against base. I don't know if the 22-yarder to Hunt. Um, it was two plays later, uh, so it could it could have been against base. I don't know, um, but they you know obviously they gave up those those two long ones, 
And, you know, you look at you have to look at each each play and, and try to see if you can figure out what was going on there. But um, one thing that you, you could see, or at least that I saw when, whenever the Browns did kind of go to that outside zone run game, um, which is not unusual. Um, obviously, Kyle Shanahan out in the 49ers run it uh, a ton. You know, some other teams around the league run it a ton. But how the Browns block it is very, particularly on the backside of that run, is very like old school outside zone blocking, very Alex Gibbs type where they're cutting guys. They're cut blocking on the backside. They're oh, not yeah. just position blocking. They're chopping guys down like trees on the backside. And that obviously can can open up you know seams and cutbacks for those kinds of long runs, but it also has a cumulative effect. Because football is a game played by people, not robots. If you got guys coming at your knees or below your knees over and over and over again, there's something in you that that's going to maybe just slow you down a little bit on that backside pursuit when you know those guys are coming at your knees. Right. I, I know that uh, Castillo was a huge believer in cut blocking and they could never practice it. So they'd spend all this time in the pit doing cut blocking. And I've got to say, I, I don't think the Ravens ever have really gotten good at it because it's, it's a very specific locational blocking technique. And if you don't hit the other player in the right spot, you don't get him to the ground. And, you know, he, he either hops over you and you take injury risk as well. It's not just the, the, the cut blocker himself takes injury risk. In fact, they'll often tell really large tackles just not to do it. Bryant McKinney, I think, was ordered not to do it because it was just it was too tough on his body to constantly be throwing his own weight on the ground and, you know, doing whatever he is to his own internal organs and bones and whatnot um, on those plays. Now, you mentioned the, the other two plays that, that were in there. They were actually in a different form of the base that I've separated out. So the base runs, these, the, the standard base, we'll call it, gave up the 11 for 67. But the Ravens brought in two other base defenses, each with three inside linebackers. We've never seen this before. Never. Okay, I can't remember this ever occurring before in Ravens history. If it has, it's almost like it's a it's a remnant of a four three defense almost because it's it's that's really what it looks like is to have three standing linebackers and whatnot. But they brought in Chris Board for all of these plays, two where they had three inside linebackers and one outside linebacker. Well, what they were trying to do there is use Campbell as an edge setter on one side effectively and and only have one outside linebacker in the game and then have more ability to pursue to the play and whatnot and they thought that might work well one of the plays and that was obviously the 29 yard run by chubb you just mentioned campbell was late into the game harrison over pursued the play and you end up with a 29 yard gash down the right sideline yeah and that play really resonated with me because it it reminded me of the titans game and a play where bowser was in the harrison spot and got too far upfield, and uh, Derrick Henry was able to sort of cut underneath him and then kind of rip off one of his long ones. And that that backside um, sort of contained defender. It's a very key position that um, you the it it it's kind of counterintuitive because you know in the run game you know you're always talked to you're always kind of coached to you know be aggressive right get off the ball get up the field, but that guy has to actually be really patient. Right. Because he doesn't know whether the quarterback is going to come out of that and keep the ball. Right. And then be out on the edge with the option to to run it or, or, or throw it. You know, if they've, if they've got a, a route kind of coming in from the backside there. And so he has to, I don't want to say slow plagues. I hate, I hate using the word slow with anything uh, in, on defense, <laughs> but you have to be patient with it and you have to be very careful 
not disciplined. to get too yeah d- disciplined exactly. You have to be very careful not to get too much depth into the backfield because you do open up that seam behind you, and that that's unfortunately what happened uh, to to Harrison. And then you know you can understand a rookie you know starting his first game; uh, those things happen. They keep telling him, make a mistake at 100 miles an hour. They're, they're really yeah. telling Queen that, but I'm sure Harrison's in the same room when they're telling him that. Yep. The, the, uh, the other play that they ran, that was a 16-yard pass to Landry. So two plays in that package for 45 yards uh, didn't work out well. I think that's still something they'll try and do this year is to try and get Campbell to be an edge setter. Obviously, he's a good run defender. He's better than any other edge setter they have You know when he, when he plays – uh, on on one edge of the line of scrimmage, and and I think the inside linebacker talent the Ravens have now is is probably a better bet overall than the edge setting outside linebacker talent they have versus the run. Now this may only be something that comes up against good running teams. The Ravens will play a few of those on the years, but the Browns are are, are one of the real primary ones. Yeah, and it's it's something that. Um... I've kind of had this discussion with people over the years. I know you, you've you've seen it and heard it too, is, you know, whether the Ravens defense should be their base anyway, whether they should be a three, four or four, three. And I mean, even, even going back probably as much as five or six years ago, it really was a meaningless discussion to me because they can, they can move from one to the other sure. without having to change personnel. I mean, you could be in what would look like a three, four, pull one of those outside linebackers off the ball and stack him inside a tackle. And now you look like a four, three. I mean, it's a very easy thing to do. Uh, you know, you can, you can reduce somebody down and you can go from an over front to an under front. You can do all of these different things with the same people on the field uh, and kind of switch back and forth. So that that's interesting. I, I actually watched the defense really closely today. I don't, I don't chart personnel like you do. Uh, so obviously you have more intimate knowledge and you've been doing it for years. Um, but that's something I want to go back and take a look at, um, specifically at, at those snaps and, and see what that looked like. Okay, I'm sure you know which plays they are, but just in case you want to know, and anybody else out there, it's the first two plays of the third drive, last drive for the Browns in quarter one with the 16 and the 29. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, then they want to bring this back because Martindale with a big lead late, 31-6 to six and then 38-6. to six. The last two plays of quarter three, where the Browns ended up fumbling the football on the 10-yard run that was stripped by Queen, and also the first two plays of the fourth quarter, he played a three-inside linebacker, two-outside linebacker, two-defensive lineman base defense. So it's a different version. It's kind of like you could call it a base. You could call it a, a, a nickel with an inside linebacker replacing a, 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 a defensive back, which really doesn't make any sense. So I, 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 call, I call it a base where you have an inside linebacker replacing a defensive lineman. It's kind of like the opposite of what they ran with Jumbo Nickel last year, where they had a defensive lineman replace an inside linebacker. So really strange to get three inside linebackers on the field for six snaps in this first game. Each case, it was bored. And I got to say, from a yardage perspective, the plays didn't work at all. I mean, they had four plays for 33, but one of them was the fumble, fortunately. And then they had the, the two earlier plays went two for 45 on that. So. Some work to be done, perhaps, at the at the whiteboard, but interesting new packages from Martindale. Yeah, and to your point earlier about could this have been um, game plan specific because of the personnel that the Browns employ, will be interesting to see what that looks like moving forward. Obviously, the next two teams, uh, the Texans, and, and probably more so with the Chiefs. The Texans like to 
to use, you know, a fair amount of two tight ends. Um, but, but the chiefs, um, probably less so. So it'll be interesting to see what this looks like if, if we see it, uh, as we move forward. But to your point about board, um, still see some recognition issues with him at times, maybe being just, just a beat slow to kind of to have a real clear picture of what's going on and, and reacting. So, um, you know, there's, there's, those things have, have kind of shown up for him in, in the limited defensive snaps he's had in his career. And it, it looked like they were still kind of showing up a little bit in this game. Yeah. He's an athlete, very valuable special teams player, but, uh, but you're right. He, he really hasn't done much on defense in a, in now a three-year career here he's working on. Let's move on. Um, Jumbo nickel, big part of the Ravens defense last year. In fact, they played the base defense on 10.6% of the snaps for the entire year, 102 times. They played the Jumbo nickel 82 snaps, 8.5% of their snaps. So it gives you an idea of their other primary run defense and how they approached it. I thought that would be going away this year. The reason being that with a great set of additional inside linebackers available with Hey, if you're going to spend a first and a third round pick on inside linebackers, you're going to maintain LJ Ford. And then obviously they believe in board and they believe in Alaka because they gave them roster spots over some other people who, you know, might've been good choices for other reasons. Uh, I thought that they would be playing more two inside linebacker formations to stop the run, but the jumbo nickel, they played again, taking out an inside linebacker and replacing him with a defensive lineman. So, Strange to see it continue, but they did it, and they did it how many times? Ten times on Sunday. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about that, about the fact that they're still doing it when, you know, what they did at linebacker in the draft might point you in the other direction is what cuts the other way is having Jimmy Smith take more snaps at safety. So so now you can still have Chuck Clark down in the box as as kind of that opposite like he's not an inside linebacker, but you know what I'm saying. Opposite uh, a, a more traditional inside linebacker, you can now have Jimmy back as one. If you want to have two safeties, it could be Jimmy and it could be Elliott. Uh, there was a snap where it was Jimmy and it was Tavon Young uh, as as kind of the two deep defenders in the middle of the field. So they have so much flexibility with their defensive backs that they can still get into a package like that. Obviously, it's been effective. You've talked about it. Obviously, you talked about it a bunch uh, last season. And and, it, and I'm looking at your article now, and it, it looks like it was was effective in this game as well. Yep, five five rushes for ten yards. They certainly it's one of the packages that stopped the run effectively, and there weren't a lot of those. And uh, five passes for 25, so that certainly works out. So ten for 35 in total. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Um, just I was I was surprised to see it. I've been touting off season this off season that I thought the jumbo nickel was pretty much going to go away because I thought it was more of an accommodation to the personnel that Martindale had last year than a real choice that he would like to make. Most teams, they really want to stop the run with the standard nickel and with the base defense. Those two are the key because the standard nickel, the other team can force you into with 11 personnel and you just got to be good at stopping the run with six in the box when that's what they have. And go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to say, I think he really likes Chuck Clark in the box. I think he's really comfortable. Let's let's just be clear here. This these are both seven man front defenses. Sorry, that's not true. The the, the standard nickel is a six man front. The 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 jumbo nickel is a um yeah, you're right. It's one and five. So you're saying he's bringing up Clark as number 
seven in the box, potentially in either of those cases. Yeah, and and he may not. It's he moves around so much when I've seen this this mm-hmm. kind of set that maybe he's not. If you were to use like a really strict definition of the box, maybe he's not technically in the box, but he's up there near the line of scrimmage. Sometimes it's very clear. Sometimes he's you know he's kind of mugging the a gaps. Uh, you know, on either side of the center. Sometimes he's up on the edge of the defense, but still at the line of scrimmage. Sometimes he's at a traditional linebacker spot, kind of in between the hashes. He moves all over the place, but there were just a couple of plays um, just in this Browns game where he's up and he's taking on a block from a tight end and shedding it and making a tackle on a run play like a linebacker. Yeah. Um, so I think he, he just likes having that guy up there because uh, he's good at it. Hell of a player. I, I do question some of Clark's ability to stay on the field if that's a really primary component of his responsibility. I kind of almost wish they had another dime back to do it, but then I don't want to also take away what Clark is good at. So, you know, you can't be so worried about putting everybody in an egg carton or in bubble wrap or whatever you whatever you want to call it to keep them from getting injured, but they can't go out there and be football players. No, no. I mean, look, it's – it's you. This is an extreme example. I almost, I almost don't even want to say it. But uh, I heard, you know, John Harbaugh got that question about keeping Lamar in late in the fourth quarter. This is a National Football League. Who, who, who takes their their starting quarterback out with ten minutes left? Uh, well, somebody who's up by you know twenty seven points maybe takes yeah. that guy. <laughs> so that's that's an extreme example on the other side of what you're saying. But to your point, um, you know, th- look, the, 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 this is football and. Part of it is, you know, guys are going to be in situations where maybe they're exposed to a little more contact, um, you know, that maybe you might like uh, because of, of some of their other responsibilities. But if, if they're good at it and it allows you to put other people back deep like Jimmy, like Tavon um, and, and use some of their skill sets in terms of maybe being able to make plays on the ball when they're back deep, you know, it's, there's there's some trade offs to be made there. Yep. Can't defend the whole field. In, in the way you'd like, obviously, <laughs> all over. There are limitations. You only got 11 men, so you deploy them as best you can. Let me go through the rest of this and then make your comments here at, a, a, you know, when I'm done real quickly. Standard nickel, 14 snaps. Extremely well-played standard nickel in this game. This has been the hallmark of the Ravens' run defense success over many years, and really the reason they were able to have 21 straight years of you know, less than four yards per carry is that they were always outstanding at stopping the run with six in the box versus 11 personnel, sometimes even against heavier sets, because they had excellent players at all three of those positions. Outside linebacker, the defensive line were big guys, and the inside linebackers, of course, had Ray Lewis or Mosley, and and were always excellent as well. And I think your article sums this one up, just how effective this was. Six yards on five runs and 26 yards on 14 pass plays and a sack. So that, that kind of sums it up. That got it done. The dime defense, uh, the Ravens. One of the one of the questions this was was with the Ravens having these extra inside linebackers, were they going to try and keep them on the field on third down, and potentially have fewer dime looks, more nickel looks, more standard nickel looks that they use on third down. Fortunately, from my perspective, anyway, the Ravens continued with more dime, and this is the team against the, which they do at least. I would say because of the size of the Browns skill position players, Uh, but they went with 15 dime snaps still in this game and they used a variety of dime looks. So they have the standard dime that they run, which basically either has three outside linebackers with one kicking to the inside or two outside linebackers and two defensive linemen. 
with one inside linebacker in either case and six defensive backs. And that they, they had three snaps total of that for 20 yards, so nothing really to be said about that. They used a heavy version where they took out all the inside linebackers, which we'll get back to in a, in a few minutes, had three outside linebackers, two defensive linemen, and six defensive backs. Those were 10 snaps for 70 yards. Those allowed some third-down conversions. And then they had uh, two of the race car that they used last year with four outside linebackers and one defensive line. That's another alignment that I figured would go away. I figured they'd want to use Campbell, potentially Wolf, potentially one other player on the inside who was a defensive lineman, maybe Matt Ibike on third down, but uh, but they didn't do it. And Derek Wolf actually stayed in as a lone defensive lineman on those snaps. Yeah, and I think despite, again, sort of what we were saying earlier, where some of the new personnel maybe makes you think they're going to move from that, when you've talked about in, in the years that, that Wink has, has employed the dime, just how effective it's been, I mean, obviously he's aware of all of that and, and, and even more. Uh, it's, it's hard to go away, you know, when you've got a package that has been that effective and though some of the, the the people within that that package may change but you probably still want to use it just because of some of the things that you have within in terms of coverage and pressure looks uh within that package that are really effective and i think you saw it against the browns game when they did bring pressure I, again i haven't charted this is just my eyeball test uh more often than li- more often than not it looked like they were bringing dbs uh, yeah more, more more so than linebackers and then that gets into kind of an interesting philosophical thing where if you're playing a team like the Browns that are using more, um, you know, two tight end set personnel, maybe even a fullback on, on some occasions. And when they do pass, when they go play action, for example, they want to use six, maybe even seven man protection. Um, you know, do you match up with that with base or do you want to have DBs? Because from a, a rush standpoint, you want to get a mismatch in terms of speed, right? There's, yeah. there's not, there's not a necessarily a physical size matchup. There's a mismatch, but there's a speed mismatch in your favor so right. it gets into some pretty interesting you know sort of sort of theories about how you want to approach that two things about what you just said the first is regarding the second thing i think wink has has shown a very strong preference to go for speed and a free runner specifically so he he tries to all the scheme he employs is usually about getting a free runner somebody that they can't figure out exactly who's coming they miss him and all of a sudden the quarterback's got pressure it doesn't even have to be a sack he just wants the quarterback to unload that ball quickly and get that two and a half second or less pressure that will keep them from the third and four to third and seven kind of conversion those those ones that are really where a lot of a football game is determined are, are the the very high leverage very um 50-50 kind of percentage uh, conversion distances on third down. Yeah, and I think in an ideal world, you know, you would love to have uh, a, a defensive line and maybe even, a, you know, a linebacker body type who could generate that kind of pressure in that time frame on their own. Um, mm-hmm. But that's rare. I mean, there's a handful of guys in the league who can do that. You think about your Aaron Donald, Javon Millers, you know, Khalil Mack when he was was healthy and uh, and not battling injuries. There's a handful of guys that can do that. And so those guys are, are, are unicorns in some respects. So when you don't have that guy, then you use scheme and, 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 and in the way that you just described. Yeah, it's, it is a lot cheaper to use scheme. Um, you mentioned also the race car. Um, last year, the Ravens played the race car dime, 13 race car dime or race car quarter, 13.2% of the time. They only played the base defense 10.6% of the time. They only first 
played the race car in 2018 in Wink's first year. First snaps in Ravens history of race car. Four outside linebackers on the field at the, first, at the same time were that season, and they did it six times. Do you think there's any part of this in sticking with the race car that, that he's, he knows it's his baby, so to speak, that he brought this, not necessarily the NFL as a whole, but he certainly brought it to the Ravens and has had great success with it now for a couple of years. Do you think he sees as a boy, you know, I, I just, I like this too much to give it away. Is he personally invested in it in a way that he doesn't want to let it go? Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, look, play callers on both sides of the ball, whether it's defense or offense, they have certain things that they can hang their hat on, right? Whether it's a personnel group, whether it's a coverage or a pressure within that personnel group, there are things that, you know, when, when the rubber meets the road, they can go to and say, hey, when I get in trouble in a game or maybe I'm not in trouble, but I just, you know, I, I want to I want to turn up the heat. They have go to's. And I think that package and the things that they do out of that personnel package, that's a go to for Wink. So that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me at all. Right. All right. Well, let's let's continue on here. Talk about the pass rush a little bit in this game. Uh, very disappointing, certainly, in terms of the number of times they got home. 18 out of 41, ample time and space for Mayfield. Now, that's a little high for today's game. The average is probably around 40% now. So that, but that doesn't seem way out of line. But the problem is the Ravens used a ton of numbers and scheme to get there, and that's way too much they put into it to only limit him to only uh, as much as 44% ample time and space. So that, that was the real disappointment for me in terms of how the pass rush went the other day. Yeah, and I, I wish I had the numbers to support this from the Browns side. Uh, I'm not going to say us when I refer to the Browns. <laughs> but um, I wonder how often in those situations they kept six or seven guys yes. in protection. Um, As it so took, happens, I know. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they, used, uh, they had 41 dropbacks in the game, and they had 31 times where they used a set or chip blocker. So just to, to explain briefly, that if you use a set blocker, you're holding him in, and he, he's only a blocker. If you use a chip blocker, then that's kind of the compromise where your guy throws a block at the line of scrimmage or running back coming out of the backfield, the classic is, goes to the ribs of the edge rusher, and then goes out into a pattern. But it limits that. That guy, first of all, cannot be the primary receiver because the timing isn't going to work out. And he can only run a fairly limited set of routes coming off any kind of a jam shot to a defender before he goes out into the pattern. So it, it does limit the receiver in a big way. And, and they had, uh, you know, I, what I think I saw is that um, Stefanski was clearly had seen the tape on Mayfield versus the Ravens and how much pressure had bothered him in the past, particularly in that 2018 season ending game. And I think that he said, well, we're not, they're not going to beat us with pressure We'll keep guys in or we'll get rid of the ball really quickly, which they did in the first half. And I think that's really why the Ravens were so unsuccessful in terms of the rush. That is kind of, again, going to, to the eye test, and I'm glad the numbers seem to, to support that. That's kind of what I saw when I was watching um, the, the rewatching the game today. I haven't released the coach's film, and you know me. I, I hesitate to, to really take a stance, a strong stance on anything without the coach's film. But you can get some some decent – um, angles on the defensive line and, and sort of the front seven from the broadcast, especially when they do replays. But the, the secondary, you're kind of, you kind of, you know, at the whims of the of the TV pro, of, of the producer. Um, yes. But I was hoping that that would be the case because um, 
I went back and I watched a couple of Minnesota games um, from last year, preparing for this game, just trying to get a sense of what, what they did on offense. And, and when they did pass, there was a lot of play action and there was a lot of six and seven man protections for Kirk Cousins. He's not a guy who's going to show a lot of empty, um, you know, where, where they're getting all, all the eligibles out in the route, uh, unless it's going to be something quick, you know, real quick game. Right. So he, he's going to protect the quarterback first and foremost. Um, that's something that he believes in. Uh, and, and it's a bit of an old school sort of approach nowadays because you see so much spread, right, uh, kind of proliferating throughout the NFL and getting getting five guys out. So uh, it's a little bit of a throwback in that way. And, you know, I guess that's the that's the give and take, right? You're going to be able to protect the guy, and even against pressure, maybe they're not going to be as effective. But when you get into the situation that they were in yesterday against the Ravens and their secondary, it, it, it just didn't work out. You know, he had time, uh, <laughs> but he couldn't get the ball to anybody. It's, it, it was it was an interesting thing because despite the fact that pass rush didn't work, if you look at the yardage results by number of pass rushers, all of them are good. So they had one play with three pass rushers, zero. It was incomplete. Then they had 18 plays with four pass rushers, 3.8 yards per play. I think the Ravens are happy with that. They rushed five 19 times, 4.7 yards per play. No problem. I'll give every NFL quarterback there, even the worst quarterbacks in the entire NFL, 4.7 yards per play. That's fine. Six with six men, they rushed that three times. 3.3 yards per play. And I know they had a seven-man rush here, but it's not showing up in my my list for some reason. But they sent they sent Clark for the seventh rusher on a play uh, where he came delayed. I need to figure out what's wrong with that. I need to figure well, out what's wrong with that. Your article says, you know, one play, zero yards. That's it. Right. <laughs> so it ended up being incomplete. So somehow my, my spreadsheet is, is wrong. I wonder if I failed to save it or something after I made that change. Um, anyway, uh, there's nothing wrong with, with the way the pass results went. It's just the problem is they didn't get pressure. And, you know, they were fortunate, I think, for, for several things. One is that uh, Beckham seemed to be very disengaged in this game. Landry was the only real threat that I think they had. And that the uh, uh, Mayfield, for whatever reason, is just not an accurate or not a Decisive might be the word, but he, but he doesn't take the proper amount of risk somehow, perhaps uh, wherever he may be. Sometimes he takes too much risk and, and, and gets interceptions, but there's been other times where he, it just seems like he's not, he's not um, uh, taking the risk he needs to, to make a completion necessarily. And when he throws the ball a little bit deeper down the field, if the guy's not wide open, he tries to throw it to, you know, far off the outside shoulder, which is often going to end up being an incomplete. Yeah, not a pretty game. For Baker and the more of these that uh, show up and continue to show up, um, you know, the more people question not only, you know, was he worthy of a first round pick? He was the first overall pick, I think. That's right. Uh, the year he came out. And, you know, you're obviously expecting a little bit more from that player, particularly with the skill talent that they have on this team. So uh, it's it's the first game. You know, you don't you don't want to you don't want to overreact. But you also don't want to underreact. So uh, it's going to be interesting for them moving forward, just like the Ravens. As we flip back to the Ravens side, they've got the Texans next week. Uh, Obviously, we know how the Texans game went from a from a pass rush standpoint last year. So uh, uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that one uh, to see if we if we see an improvement from this game uh, to to that game in terms of pass rush effectiveness. Right. It was an interesting, interesting thing about the Browns. An implosion is possible this year, but I don't think they'll implode badly enough to get the number one pick. I just don't think I think there are too many teams who are trying too hard to get Trevor Lawrence right now. 
<laughs> that yeah. uh, that they're going to be the team that ends up going, you know, two and fourteen or whatever it's going to take to get him. Uh, they uh, they would really be faced with a quandary if they got to that point because Mayfield will be three years in the league for him to impl- for the team to implode. He's probably going to have to have a, t- a season pretty similar to last year, which is getting close to the point where you have to think about replacing your franchise quarterback. If he has two years in a row like that. At this point, I think you really got a question. You don't want to pay him. I mean, that's the big that's the big problem is you don't want to pay that guy. So you you do have the chance to like not pick up his option, but you have to decide right before year four whether you're gonna pick up a you know a thirty million dollar plus option on the player in year five. And I think that the, the Browns might already be deciding it's time to fold, flush the toilet, whatever you want to call it with Baker Mayfield if he had another season like last year. Yeah, and keep in mind, uh, I mentioned him earlier, uh, Andrew Barry. He's their new GM. Uh, he did not pick. He did not draft Baker Mayfield. John mm-hmm. Dorsey did. Uh, and 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 oftentimes we see that disconnect uh, from from a, a loyalty perspective, if you will. Um, you know, when when you have a, a GM, uh, a newer GM, who's not the guy that drafted you. Yeah, so, true. That's true across business and everything. You, yeah. You're the new CEO. You basically make the old management responsible for every bad decision you can see on the books before you say, this is my new starting point. Yeah. And to your point, if he has another season like last year, I mean, you you, you just can't continue to go uh, to go forward with that. Right. All right. Lots of deception from the Ravens in this game. You mentioned that the, the defensive back blitzes 13 of 20 blitzes from off the line of scrimmage, which is a ton, by the way, uh, were from DBs. Had a great uh, pod up there, including Vincent Verhey from Football Outsiders, who talked about defensive black back blitzings and how much the Ravens were ahead of head and shoulders above other teams in that category. Not just blitzes by number, a lot of those. But in terms of defensive backs actually being the ones who blitzed, they got a very high pressure rate personally, and they're very successful on the plays where they sent a defensive back. So that was interesting. They had four stunts. Now, we talked all offseason. I know you and I probably talked about this at least once, about the improved stunt players they have on this team. Matabike's out right now, but he's definitely a looper or probably an under guy. We have Campbell, who definitely has both the quickness to go to go over, which is a little surprising, but that outstanding length you want to go under and we have wolf who's the ultimate underneath guy as well playing on the inside that's a lot of additional stunt quality players and they go with four stunts only in that first game yeah and 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 one i one thought i had about this is you know stunts can be slower developing um Mm -hmm. sort of rushes sometimes because of the movement that's happening there um and you mentioned this point earlier, uh, going back to the, the 2018 game against the Browns, um, the last game in the regular season, and how effective, uh, how affected uh, Baker was by pressure. And I'm just wondering if Wink says, well, look, I know how much pressure rattles this dude, so I'm just going to send it. And I know how much you know speed in the rush, so specifically using safety, leaving DBs to create that pressure affects him. So I'm just going to send it. I'm going to send it again. Obviously, you're hoping they get home more than they did, but I'm going to send it because I know how that specific type of pressure, speed in the rush, affects him. So right. I'm going to send safeties from off. The, I mean, <laughs> I was watching it and I'm just taking like little notes on a sheet of paper and I'm like, they're sending safeties from both edges. They're sending two safeties from the same edge. They're sending guys in interior gaps from depth 
uh, Jimmy Smith's coming from death. I mean, they're just sending these guys from everywhere. And I wonder if it, 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 it might be that thought of this is what really seems to affect Baker the most is when he's got speed coming at him uh, from, from DB body types from all over. And it just speeds up his processor, that internal clock that all QBs have. And he starts to, to get a little wonky in his decision making and his accuracy. I, 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 think you've, I think you've got it there. I, mean, I think that, that Wink really believed that pressure was the way to go. And I think that Stefanski really wanted to stop it. Uh, so it was a question of, of of who could win the scheme game there. And one of the things that, that is, is definitely true is that w- you can't stunt as much if you're blitzing. So if you're going to have 20 blitzes from coming off the line of scrimmage, that's often incompatible with stunting in terms of, you know, you have to leave gaps clear for blitzers. And in fact, there's a really excellent video this offseason's up on NFL.com. That's Calais Campbell explaining with Brian Baldinger, all the things he does to use his length or to stunt and things like that. It's great stuff. And one of the things he said is that this, he's allowed to call or was at Jacksonville allowed to call a stunt with whatever partner he has right at the line of scrimmage. The only rule is he can't do it when they're blitzing. Otherwise, as long as they don't have a blitz called, he's, he's free to do it. So I thought that was very interesting in, in, in terms of this. Yeah. He's a very, very cerebral guy. Uh, yes. if, you, if you haven't seen that, you should definitely check it out or just listen to him when he talks about the game. The very cerebral guy. And, you know, what's interesting about that, when you talked about that freedom he kind of had there in Jacksonville, I remember Dean Pease, uh, somebody recorded this for me because I didn't have it and I wasn't there. Um, years back, all right, the Harbaugh's did this clinic at the University of Michigan, right? So it was it was John, um, it was Jim, it was his dad, and it was, it was a couple of the Ravens um, coaches, and Dean Pease was there. And Dean Pease did a presentation, and part of it was was about pass rush. And he talked about how he allowed his guys the freedom to read out stunts. He's like, look, people think these are called stunts, that these are designed things that I'm calling. He's like, it's not. These guys are just reading it out at the line of scrimmage. One guy goes inside. The other guy sees him go inside. He delays a little bit, and he loops outside. He's like, it wasn't called. They just read it. And he said, we talk about it. You know, if you want to say, well, is this just like totally freelance? No, no. We talk about it during the week and in meetings. You know, we look for opportunities to do it. But in the game, he's like, I, I let them call. So I think that might be more of a prevalent thing that happens in the league than I even realized. I mean, I knew it happened a little, but it might happen more than I realized. All right. Well, that that would that would definitely leave it with stunts being uh yeah, I, there's, there's part of me that says there have to be stunts called from the sidelines as well. Thinking about the early yeah. Marvin Lewis years, there were a ton of those. I mean, and, and the other thing is you get these double twist plays where they're doing it on both sides on the same play. And I, that's got to be called. You can't you can't do something that compromises the defense like that would without, you know, opening your eyes going into it, I wouldn't think. Yeah, and I don't mean to imply by any stretch that all stunts are not called. There certainly are, are, are stunts and pass rush games that are called. 100% agree with that. But it's like anything else in football, right? It's, 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 well, how much of it is it? You know, it's a little bit of everything that's happening. But how often and how much and when is it happening is, is the big mystery. All right. Well, let's move on. I, I think we've done the pass rush enough. I did have some other things, but I, I'll go into it another time. Let's talk about some of the players individually and their performances. So what I like to do with you, Michael, is why don't you just pick a player, talk about what you liked or didn't like about his performance, and then I'll kind of react to it and I'll, I'll do the next one. Well, this is kind of an obvious one. Calais Campbell, uh, obviously a big, a big all season acquisition. And uh, even though he said at the game, after the game that he didn't think he played as well as he could have, uh, I was pretty impressed 
um, with, with how he played. You mentioned some things that he did in the run game to kind of help shore that up after, you know, after they kind of struggled a little bit early. Um, you know, obviously he had the tipped uh, pass that that Marlon Humphrey was able to, to go down to the shoe, you know, to the, the shoe tops and intercept that. But what, what I really liked about that was just you think about his length, you know how tall he is, you know, his arm length. And you think about that being an advantage at the line of scrimmage. And it is. He had three pass deflections, including that one um, that I just mentioned there. But what I didn't take into account is if you drop him, right, an underneath zone dropper, you know, in, in, in kind of a zone pressure where he's, he's, he's on the line and then he drops. When he drops into those underneath zones, because of his length, because of that arm span, he really takes away passing lanes. You know, not just at the line of scrimmage, but even if you're trying to throw a slant, which is what Baker, Baker, Baker Mayfield was trying to throw on that play, uh, they have a, a, a receiver isolated to the left and Campbell is dropping from the opposite side. He was actually right. lined up on the right side. and He's dropping to the opposite side. So you don't expect that guy to be coming from there. And I think they had Elliott rushing from the left. So to that same side that Baker wanted to throw the slant. So everything's coming together. You're getting the pressure in his face. He's thinking he's got to throw hot. He's thinking he's got a receiver uh, who's going to be open because there's no underneath coverage. And then you've got this big 6'8 condor coming from the opposite side of the field who's yeah. able to get his hands on the ball and it leads to an interception. So uh, I was really impressed with just how versatile uh, he was in terms of, well, of what he did and where he aligned. What you're, what you're mentioning exactly is is that window is closing from both directions. The window is closing from the one direction because the receiver who is slanting is moving in the direction of the probably unseen underneath defender Campbell. But Campbell's also moving in that direction, and he's extending his arms and doing the things that are necessary. And you can see he moved quite a distance before he deflected that pass on the play. And then it's, it's also, I think, what was hilarious is him going to the ground and absolutely pounding on the ground. He's so upset that he didn't get the interception. He didn't even realize that Humphrey had made a play on the ball. And then I don't think he went down to the end zone to participate in the uh, video, whatever, you know, the, the photo op they take. He just went to the yeah. sideline. He was kind of maybe embarrassed with himself for being a little selfish on the play uh, in terms of his own uh, uh, miss of the interception. But great game for Campbell. I, I, you know, one of the things I like to look at is when players draw holding penalties, and he, had, he drew a holding penalty in this game. Um, unfortunately, it negated Jalen Ferguson's sack. Oh, he was so upset, too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but it was a 10 yard penalty and the Ravens, you know, got a little bit better field position at a completely meaningless time of the game. If you're Harbaugh, you could have done it, but it would send the wrong message about personal stats going ahead of the you know team's need and whatnot. So instead of fourth and four, they made it third and 12 and they thought that was a slightly better situation for the game. And uh, and that was that. I'll, I'll pick another player. Uh, move ahead with Tyus Bowser. Uh, I thought he had a terrific game, really dogged in terms of his pressure. Uh, cleanup pressure is often um, poo-pooed as a lot less valuable than uh, other sorts of pressure. But Bowser did a really good job with it. And his motor in this game uh, really was important to keeping Mayfield under pressure even after he'd already had ample time and space. And so you know, the sack minus 14 um, was not exactly like that, but he, he did have uh, two other... Uh, ample time and space plays one where he chased down Mayfield for a throw out of bounds on that was on third and 41 and another where he was able to stay with Kareem Hunt Kareem Hunt of all play in, in yeah. pass coverage yep despite ample time and space 
Yeah, I mean, you you know, you and I have talked about this going back to, to Bowser's rookie season. Uh, he's he's very good in coverage. And, you know, we we thought, what was it, that Bengals game where he had an interception? <laughs> and we, or I don't, maybe it was the Browns. Oh, it was the Browns or Bengals. It was his rookie year. Uh, yeah. He dropped in coverage and had an interception. And I think we, it was I think it was the Browns. It was that there, there were three people that might have intercepted the ball. Uh, they were in line with each other, if I recall. And we and we thought, okay, here we go, right? You know, we, we've been cleared for takeoff. This guy's getting ready to to kind of you know really show what he can do, and uh, it's kind of been fits and starts. But uh, hopefully this year, contract year, so you got a little extra motivation there. Um, you know, will will be the one where uh, we we really see him kind of fulfill the potential. And uh, unfortunately, also I guess probably join the long list of contract year pass rushers for the Ravens who priced themselves out. Of, uh, of the market for the Ravens. Hopefully, hopefully that's not the case. But hey, you get a comp pick back, so it's not the end of the world. Right. I mean, that's the better result than him having a lousy year. Yeah. Him having yeah. a lousy year does you nothing. He leaves and you get nothing. I mean, you right. have a good year. The Ravens get a great year and they get a comp pick. So, win win. Obviously, what they want. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, Bowser was interesting in terms of his, his uh, time here. I, I just, I'll, I'll tie this to Judon because on the other side of the, you know, the other Ravens Sam linebacker, and I call them that, but but it's really Judon's ability to drop to cover has has been so valuable to the Ravens. They abused him on Sunday in terms of dropping him to cover. I had him for I think it was sixteen times dropping to cover, which is more than he rushed the passer. Yeah, and that's something that uh, you know he didn't he did not provide really anything in coverage. He was. He was not able to impact the passing game in coverage at all. And he obviously, he's not, he can't be happy with being assigned a, a big coverage role in a contract year. No, I wouldn't think so. Uh, I would think that he wants as many opportunities to rush the passer as possible. I think he's even on Twitter at times made some veiled references when people talk about other pass rushers and how much better they are than him to how much more he drops in the coverage mm-hmm. than those other guys, which he does. Uh, you know, he, look, I, I like the guy. I've made no secret about it because I think he's, he's a throwback in that he is an all around outside linebacker. And beyond that, maybe just an all around football player too, because he has a pretty, pretty significant role on special teams. I don't think people really pay attention to much. So he does a little bit of everything. He drops in coverage. He plays the run, he rushes the passer, he plays special teams and in coverage, you know, this this is something that I used to talk about with Earl Thomas last year. Sometimes it's hard to quantify the effect that a guy can have in coverage when he's dropping if there's not a counting stat to associate with it. So if he drops into coverage and he's in a passing window and the quarterback has to come off of that read and go to the next progression, that's you lose that entirely. Yeah, yep. that's affecting the play. But that's not counted. Right. You, know, you can't look at that on PFF or anywhere else and say, oh, well, look how many times he he made the quarterback come off that receiver. So you can have that effect, but to measure it, you really have to see it on film because it's, it, it's not quantified anywhere that I'm aware of. I mean, t- teams probably do. I mean, I imagine teams have, have you know, analytics uh, and metrics that, that are way beyond what, what's out there uh, for, for some average schmo like me. But I, 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 I'm probably a little more fired up about this because I got into it with somebody before we started recording who was like, this guy's garbage. And I'm like, all right, come on. We're not, we're not going to do this, are we? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, anyway, let me get off the soapbox. Your turn. Another player. Uh, okay. Little, little bit of, little bit of good, more good, and then you know some things to clean up. I'm going to go Patrick Queen. 
because I think what you saw was the speed showed up, right? The speed showed up on tape, the speed that you, you saw uh, in terms of time speed, which is always cool, but it's different than play speed. But I think his play speed kind of lines up with his time speed. I think that you could see him, uh, particularly on that sack, right, where uh, mm-hmm. credit, to Der- credit to Derek Wolf, right, H- hat tip to Derek Wolf for doing enough to kind of engage um, the left guard and uh, make him late to react. And then Calais Campbell on the other side, where he moves to the outside, to the right tackle in the center, knows, right, just from experience, when I see a guy go away from me, there's probably somebody coming back. So he looks, expecting somebody to come back. So you basically get a parting of the seas, right? The center's looking one way, the left guard's looking the other way, and Queen just hits it right up in the middle. And because of his speed, he's able to get there before either guy can react to him. Um, I, want to talk more, I want to talk more about Queen in just a second. Okay. But Wolf there, it's almost like less is more in terms of how he touches or otherwise manipulates that left guard. Cause the left tackle has got part of him. Okay. And then he, he put his hand on the left guard or he did something that got the left guard's attention turned without putting his shoulder into him. You know, the way you might think as an under guy on a stunt. And, and I thought that he was able, queen was very effectively able to work right off Wolf's spot. He actually crossed it um, as he went through there. And that, you know, there was enough delay in terms of the recognition of J.C. Treader to get over that it that it allowed for uh, you know a, a clean break. Yeah, coaches talk about capturing that guy, capturing that blocker's eyes. If you mm-hmm. can capture his eyes, you don't necessarily have to, you know, like basically what you were describing, put you know half of your body into the guy. You just got to capture his eyes, and the more speed you have coming behind you. Uh, the the less you have to do, or, or not the less, but you don't have to hold his eyes for as long when you have that kind of speed coming in behind you. And when it's that tight, Coach is also talking about that that space in between when you're wrapping off of uh, that guy who's occupying the blocker, when you're wrapping off of his butt. They're talking about you want to be able to pick his pocket, right? Like he's yep. got his wallet in there. You just want to be so close that you could pick that wallet right out of his back pocket. Uh, and that's exactly what Queen did. Uh, you saw the... The uh, the takeaway mm-hmm. from Nick Chubb that I mean it, it gets quantified as a forced fumble, but that was a straight up takeaway because uh, because Chubb had both hands on the ball and Queen just violently ripped it out of there. That is a powerful powerful man. He took that ball from. Yeah, yeah. Chubb Chubb is a very powerful man, uh, and so a lot of credit uh, to Queen for that. I think there's some things to to, to clean up in terms of run fits. Um, you know, maybe being a little bit slow to recognize what's going on, um, you know, block shedding, uh, you know, there's, there's some things to work on there in terms of being a little more active with his hands. Obviously, he's got the the, the, the capability to be really violent with his hands. We saw that right with the chub play. Uh, so, you know, there, there's some things to clean up there. But for a rookie, you know, inside linebacker making his first start, uh, I'll, I'll throw him out there as a guy who I was impressed with. Yeah, I. I- couldn't help but be impressed by him just because of the, you know, the spikes you see from the really positive uh, big plays he made. He did have, he had eight tackles in the game and none of them were closer than three yards to the line of scrimmage. My only objection about it, and that's why I couldn't pick him among my defensive MVPs for the game, despite the big plays. Give us, give us another player here. You did, you did great with that one. Go, go for one more. LJ Ford. Got to got to get a nod to, to some special teams. Although, uh, you know, obviously he, he played well in his defensive snaps. Two, but the special teams play that we talked about early, 
earlier. Um, that that was huge, right? Creating that turnover, allowing the Ravens to get the ball and then turn that into points. Uh, and then I think also on his defensive snaps, he, he's just solid. You know, I remember watching him in Pittsburgh, and I think he was even with the Eagles for a little while, um, you know, b- before he came to the Ravens. And you watch him play and you say, man, this guy is just solid. You know, he's not an athletic freak. He's not like a top tier, you know, guy in terms of athleticism, but seems to always be in the right place. Seems to understand what his role is. Pretty good at, uh, you know, getting off blocks and that kind of thing for a guy who's not not huge, you know, in terms in terms of weight. And I just couldn't understand, like, why can't this guy kind of hold on to a starting job? And maybe it's the athleticism. Hold on to. He played half a season of NFL snaps in an eight-year career when he got here. Yeah. So he's yeah. just like, nobody had given him a chance. I mean, he's, I think he the most he'd played is about, you know, 250 snaps or maybe 300 snaps in one year where they had some injuries. But, uh, but boy, yeah, he'd never really gotten a chance, and the Ravens saw something in him. Yeah. And when you watch the film, I'm, I, look, I'm, I'm no scout and would never claim to be. But when you watch him play, you, you just see a solid player. You think a guy who who could contribute, um, you know, to a defense and help a defense. So, you know, to me, uh, I've, I've been more than pleased since they acquired him. And then, of course, his effect on special teams, not just this play that he made, which was obviously a big play, but every week on special teams, really, um, you know, the effort is there. And I tell people all the time, I think Jerry Rothberg, I, I stole it from him, fast, physical and tough. You give me that on special teams. We got something to work with. All right. Well, Fort played 20 snaps in this game. Harrison 22, as I have them, as I have them counted. Harrison um, started the game, which is a little surprising to me that they didn't go with Fort as the second starting inside linebacker with Queen. Yeah, I was surprised by that too. Um, to to see Harrison get that start, um, he's. He's an interesting guy because he's very he, he's got a lot of versatility. I don't want to go way down the rabbit hole with, with Harrison, but you know you can line up an inside linebacker. He can take some some snaps at Sam, which I, I think he might have done one or two, probably one that that didn't go very well. Uh, but you know he we saw him drop in the pass coverage and and, and tip a ball uh, that that could have been intercepted. Uh, he plays on special teams as well, so you know a guy who's got a lot of flexibility. Um, and I think Wink is going to have fun um, finding different ways to use him. I think, you know, what's happening now, I think, is, and you did this in camp, but now you got to do it in the games. You're trying to find, you know, where he fits the best. You know, what are the things that he does the right. best? Uh, you know, kind of a match between his skill set and different opportunities in games. And so you kind of just use him in a bunch of different ways to try to see, you know, how all of that shakes out until you find some stuff that you're like, okay, yeah, these are the ones. Let's make sure we get him in these situations. So yeah, it'd be fun to watch that. That was great two years ago when Wink was in that position with his linebacking core. Last year, you know, Bynes and Ford are what they had yeah. after they flushed the toilet on everybody else. And and they were they were and, and they had, you know, obviously still Owasa was playing a, a few snaps towards the end of the year, but it was basically Bynes and Fort were the guys they could trust. They only played one point three three inside linebacker snaps per play last year, which is very low. I mean, just I, I you know, you, you you have to be in the dime to basically take off a second inside linebacker. So it doesn't happen very often, except they also play Jumbo Nickel to take a second inside linebacker off. And so there were other ways. And they also played some some other race car forms where they took both linebackers off. So anyway, they played very little in terms of the inside linebackers last year. They're more like the 2018 teams in terms of having a nice mix of will linebacker opportunities. I mean, it's not like Queen that played every 
snap at all in this first game. But between Harrison and Fort and the dimeback snaps for Clark, you have a really nice contrast of skills there that you you got to a little bit earlier that means you really can pick off the cafeteria or, or you know use a cafeteria style to you know what what opponent and what situation in the game you want to use those guys yeah yeah it's it's got to be fun to to have that flexibility uh as a defensive coordinator as opposed to the other situation where, you know, maybe your hand, you, you got a hand tied behind one hand tied behind your back a little bit and you're trying to make the best of what you got. And, and, and that can work, you know, you can, you can, you can be effective sometimes you, you kind of almost, you know, sort of stumble your way into it, but it's gotta be much more fun to have the ability to say, Hey, let's, let's just try these guys in all these different situations and let's see what kind of plays they make. Incredibly deep and talented roster, and, and particularly on the defensive side of the ball, I think there's a, there's a lot of opportunity for Wink to do that at multiple levels. I mean, at safety, he's got options. At, at inside linebacker, he's got options. At edge rusher, he's got options. On the defensive line, there's probably you know options, but certainly rotational players as well. So uh, yeah, it's an it's an exciting season for the Ravens. I mean, we've we've hit on a few players here. I think that's probably all we're going to have time for tonight, Michael. But how about we talk about the three stars of the game in terms of who you think were the guys who contributed the most? Let's go start with number three, if you will, and I'll go second, if you like. Okay, um, we I'm I'm, I'm going to do a combo situation here. Uh, I'm going to say Humphrey and Peters, Humphrey slash Peters. <laughs> that's a good one I, I i can't argue at all they obviously 16 targets for 83 yards for the big two receivers 5.2 yards per target while the ravens outside receivers boykin sneed and brown at 14.4 yards per target in this game a lot of that is lamar jackson hey we'll give the credit where the credit's due but that's still a big difference okay my number go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 absolutely. I was just going to agree with you. That is, a, I didn't, I didn't know that number. That is a huge difference. Um, the third star for me is Chuck Clark. Uh, terrific game. And we didn't really talk about him individually among the players, but um, he did so many things well in this game. Uh, played pass defense, made a huge undercutting hit on Kareem Hunt that that guy will remember. I mean, that was a, that was a, you know, leg, shin, thigh hit. Uh, got a lot of area there. It was loud. It upended him. It's it's zero plus zero yak play. I mean, it's just it's exactly what you want out of that. It's a kind of kind of play that a lot of turnovers happen on. You know, if you've if you've got a chance and the guy's not holding the ball quite right, it might come out on that. Uh, so lots of lots of good things. But anyway, also Clark got a lot of pressure on the passer that was fairly significant in this game. Um, I think he might have had three pressures, but it might only be two. And I've got them labeled in the article if people want to see with time and uh, and uh, quarter and time references. All right. Uh, number two for me, I'm going to say uh, Deshaun Elliott. Um, stepping into a big role, obviously, with the uh, with, with the Earl Thomas situation. And I don't know how often, because, again, you know, like I said, I, I didn't chart it. So I, I don't know how often he was targeted in coverage and, and kind of how he held up there. But just from the eye test, looked to be pretty decent in that regard. Um, but was flying all over the field as as has been his want uh, when he's been healthy. Um, the guy is just a missile. He's just an absolute missile all over the field. And uh, you know, there's, there's there's a little bit of a double edged sword with that because he, yes. he, he does play with a reckless abandon. There's no question about that. And everybody kind of will remember the, the the first big hit on Kareem Hunt 
uh, and just the sound of that. But he had one later in the game where really Hunt gave better than he got. And, um, you know, similar, but kind of in the middle of the field, uh, full shoulder contact from Elliott. And, uh, you know, it, it took Hunt down, but Elliott kind of spun away from, you know, almost mm. like something hits you and it's like a stinger. And you're like, oh, and you kind of just spin away from it. And he didn't come out of the game. So I'm not, I'm not implying he was injured or anything like that. But, you know, when when you play with that style uh, that he does, which I love, um, there, there is a little bit of a double edged sword to it. I mean, there's two two things about that. It's one is he needs to come off special teams if he's going to play like that, because <laughs> you can stand the three times a game. Hopefully, at most, he has that kind of contact from free safety coming up. It'll it'll happen less from the back end than it would if he were playing, playing Clark's position. Okay, they had him at linebacker, really as dime back last year in some non-traditional downs, and I, you know, he was outstanding. But he's just he's he's very very physical and out of a slighter player. That's probably not that good a thing for longevity in the league. Um, but, but I, you know, I love the guy. One, one target for 13 yards is what I have, Michael, for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it was, a, it was a catch by Landry. That's, uh, that's okay. You're allowed at least one of those. But he played well, too. My number two guy is Tyus Bowser. Uh, I talked about some of the things already. Bowser also drew a holding call on this game in addition to the sack he had for 14 yards and some of the other pressure events. Uh, he also had a, a pass defense on Hunt in coverage you mentioned earlier. My number one guy, and we're probably going to have the same number one guy, is Calais Campbell. I've already kind of said some things about him, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the floor. I, I think you're right on the money with what you said about him. Drew Holden call himself three passes defense. Let's frame that up for people. That has happened less than 150 times in Ravens history. The players had three passes defense. I used to have a chart. It's about six years old. It had 100 total names on it of individual games where it had happened. The most anybody's ever had is seven in a game for the Ravens. And the three, it, it, just, it boggles the mind for a defensive lineman to tell you how rare that is. And I'm not sure how many on the chart of 100 that I had were defensive linemen, but it's not many. So... You know, it just it was a very, very special game, and that wasn't his only contribution. Of course, had a really nice play to set up a run stuff for no gain early on that we haven't talked about. McPhee and Wolf kind of cleaned it up for no gain, but it was all him jamming in and setting that edge, which is exactly what the Ravens would like him to do. Yeah, when you when you you see him on the field, obviously physically you can't miss him. Because of how tall he is. But then you think about how long he's played. This is, what, his 13th year? 12th or 13th year? He's 34 years old. I know that. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that the guy is still as effective as he I mean, he's just not out there taking up space, you know, absorbing blocks. This guy's making plays regularly. Uh, it's just hard for me to, to, to come to, to grips with that for a guy who's played as long as he's played at that position, you know, on the defensive line. But, man, I'm glad he's here, and uh, I hope he continues to have games like that. Each of the last five years, Campbell's played between 77 and 80% of the defensive snaps for his teams. So he's just always on the field. Yesterday, (laughs) 59%. And I think that's a great recognition of some throttling back they need to do for him to get him through the season and – Frankly, his sack totals dropped a lot the last couple of years. This might be a way to rejuvenate him as a pass rusher a little bit. 
is to is to uh, you know, and and it's not that he hasn't had a ton of quarterback hits. I you don't, you want him to you know get some more finishes. Probably give him a few less snaps would be a good way. Yeah, let's get back to those Saxonville numbers, right? I like those. I mean, there was a couple of years there where he was double digits in sacks, so uh, I would love to see that happen. And maybe uh, to your point, with with you know reduced snap load, he's he's a little fresher, and um, you know you're using him. Uh, in some different situations here that uh, maybe he gets some different opportunities than, than what he's had in the last year or so. So um, I'm, I'm just really excited about the guy. I'm excited about Derek Wolf. Um, you know, the, the defensive line, we talked to you, you kind of led with it. I mean, you know, not, not great uh, in terms of the line of scrimmage battle, but um, you know, you, you've got to be excited about the potential just in terms of the personnel that they have. I, you know, I, I like, that Campbell does not seem to have any decrement from age this year. And I like that Wolf is as advertised in his first game as a Raven coming off the injury. And I, the thing I really didn't like is that I didn't think we got a good game out of Brandon Williams back at nose tackle. Mm. And he just didn't look that good against Treader, who'd been on the injury report all week. So, you know, at some point, Brandon's going to have to step it up and play better. The Ravens have just recently in the last week, I think made a commitment to keep him here basically through 2021 now where I thought he would have been almost a certain cut next year. They agreed to a reduced salary, which I think is probably going to be very likely to keep him here for next year. Yeah, I I think, uh, and I want to make excuses for him. Um, but I think this outside zone scheme is really tough on those tackles. Mm -hmm. Very tough. Uh, obviously a strength of his game is in a moving in a straight line up the field, right? Penetration straight up the field into the backfield that outside zone scheme wants to get guys moving laterally. Uh, and obviously a big, a bigger body type like him moving laterally is not, not probably a strength for him. And because that play typically is aiming at the tight end, or if there is no tight end, like a, a ghost tight end. So it's, it's, you know, the running back is kind of getting that, you know, his aiming point is that far outside the nose tackle is almost always going to be on the backside of that play. And if you, you know, play the the style that the Browns wanted to play, he's going to be getting cut. So that, that is a tough, tough duty. Yeah, You um, don't want that. Yeah. That's tough duty for a nose tackle. And you probably saw it as you were scoring the game. He got cut a couple times. Um, Ellis got cut a couple times. Washington got cut a couple times. Uh, that, that is just tough uh, for those interior guys uh, in this particular scheme. We'll get a chance to hit on the rookies again as we go through the next few weeks here. Washington, 28 snaps in this one, but uh, it, that stuck out is that Washington was on the ground a lot on the run game and, uh, and kind of a little upsetting. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised he played as much as he did. Maybe some of that's a function of, of, of the lead. Um, maybe some of it is just a function of they wanted to get him in there, but um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough scheme to, to have your first game you know, against. Uh, so, you know, that's one of those welcome to the NFL moments for him, for sure. Right. He played a lot of first half and second half, just looking at the snaps, you know, visually here. Looks like I would say he played roughly an equal amount the first half and the second half. Looks like okay. 11 first half anyway. And maybe so not what score? So one score dependent. He was he was just in there. All right. Well, uh, I've got one more question for you, Michael, and that's that they, they won a game 38 to six where they lost on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Is this a repeatable form a formula for winning against these next two opponents? Uh, no, I would not think so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, who, who knows? Anything is possible here in 2020. 
Um, but I, I don't think that that is a, a repeatable formula for success, particularly against um, the, the Texans and, and more so the Chiefs. So uh, something's going to have to change. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that the coaches uh, are, are aware, more, more aware than we would ever be of, you know, the areas that they want to see guys clean up. And look, uh, that Houston offensive line, it wasn't great when the Ravens played them last year. Um, I, 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 I wouldn't, I'd be lying if I said I knew who all of their starters were off the top of my head. I know Tunsil, I know Sharping, uh, I know Howard. I don't know if, uh, if their center and their right guard are the same. Austin Howard's still at right tackle? Um, no, no. The, um, he's he's a, a rookie they drafted um, okay. last year. Uh, and maybe Howard's not even his right name. So that there you go. Um, but they were not great last year and they didn't look great against the chiefs uh, in, in that first game. So I think there could be some opportunity there uh, in terms of uh, the D line, you know, maybe getting right uh, a little better against them. And then, you know, the chiefs, that's just a whole, a whole nother ball game. They are, they are the measuring stick uh, in the AFC and, and, and I guess in the whole league, uh, they're the Super Bowl champ. So that game is going to be, awesome to watch all righty uh josh have anything for us in the mailbag this week yeah just a little bit i sometimes wish we did the mailbag at the beginning of this show because you cover so (laughs) many of the topics by the time we get to the mailbag um but a couple things a lot of concern over the pass rush and not being able to get any pressure without blitzing so two questions did you see anything that changed from last year or if it's more of the same and do you think the Ravens are still out there trying to find someone to bring in to fill that? Okay. I, I'm going to give my answer first to this on two, on two points. One is I don't think they're looking to get somebody. I don't think their cap situation would make it really easy to do. I think they're, they, the next big move they'll make is probably extending Ronnie Stanley would be my guess. But the, what, what I want to say about the did they do the same thing and it just didn't work, they had eight deceptive rushes in this game. The Browns, and those are ones where they use two forms of deception between dropping two guys from the line of scrimmage, sending a blitzer from off the line of scrimmage, or using a stunt. And they had two of two of those on eight different rushes, and the Browns got ample time and space on five of them. And that's completely unacceptable. So anyway, that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, you got to. I think you got to play the game, Ken, on that first one, right? We need to go get Clay Matthews. We need to go get Cameron Wake. We <laughs> don't do that. We got to go sign all these guys, man. You can't. You can't just get sit pat with what you saw yesterday. It's it's only <laughs> one game. You got to completely overreact and mortgage the farm to go get these guys. That's that's exactly exactly what you're faced with Twitter on every day. You can, you can waste a lot of time on Twitter even if you're just kind of interested in hearing what other analysts want to say, like I always want to read your tweets and I want to read what Sarah's saying. And Sarah is a great framer in terms of, of, of making people react to her tweets. She's very good at that. Um, but I, but I, I, I like reading all those, but I hate reacting to them because once I react to it, then I'm going to get in a discussion. And it's going to be a long time. Like if somebody asks me a question, that's great. I'll try and answer it. Love to hear from you. But I, I really don't want to delve into somebody else's tweet if I don't agree with them. It just doesn't – it doesn't – it'll waste my whole day if I do that. All right. So <laughs> so send those tweets into the film study mailbag, and we'll address them here. Sounds good. Um, uh, Shay wants to know – and I, that I kind of combined Jim and Matt and Brad, some questions that came in for that pass rush. But uh, it's really hard to make any judgments when you only give up 
six points in the game on this defense. But Shea's wondering what happened to Campbell on that long run. He seemed out of place. I mean, he, he got on the field late. He was the 11th man on, and I, I, I'm not sure how he maybe got misaligned, but he wasn't all the way down in his three-point stance. The right tackle, Conklin, took care of him on the play, but then the outside guy was Harrison, and he, he also you know shares the blame, in, in my way of thinking, with uh, Campbell on that side. Harrison maybe even more significantly at fault for, for getting too far upfield. Yeah, I would I would probably put a little more on uh, of the blame on Harrison's side of the ledger. Um, and considering, you know, you had the shortened uh, training camp and no preseason games, I'm surprised we didn't see more of those kinds of, of, of situations, you know, kind of substitution related. Because, you know, obviously Wink, you know, likes to mix and match personnel. Um, so I'm kind of surprised we didn't see and, and he's got some younger guys, you know, kind of in flux this year. I'm surprised we didn't see more of that. I actually thought they did a pretty decent job of uh, getting guys in and getting lined up um, for the most part correctly. I, I think you can, you could look at mm-hmm. some individual plays and, and see some things, but um, you know, good, good, good on them, you know, credit to you're, them for. You're making a great off. point about substitution because substituting is something that obviously the, the command and control of defense, in this case, Chuck Clark on field, you know, would be careful to know what's going on. But I thought they had very little in the way of coverage breakdowns. Now that I think about it, obviously had great coverage results, but they didn't have much in the way of coverage breakdowns that you normally see where a receiver is just running wide open and, you know, somebody blew it. And that's what can, that's what can happen when you're not spending time at the car wash. You can, you can, you can, you can get things communicated and people don't make mistakes. It's, it's very simple. I think they made the right choice. <laughs> well, that leads me right into the next question. Again, you can get your questions using the hashtag film study mailbag on Twitter or commenting on any of the articles or podcasts over on filmstudybaltimore.com. And that's the next question, is Earl Thomas. It's tough to walk away from this job, this type of win, where the defense didn't struggle a whole lot and make any decisions, but was there anything noticeable with Earl Thomas not being on the field for the Ravens? You know, the the biggest thing to me is there was no testing of the – middle of the field, I'm talking between the numbers where a single high safety would be patrolling and exuding fear the way Thomas does. And Mayfield didn't have any success at all there to speak of. And you can look out on the, on the maps of the passes on next gen. It's very apparent. Uh, You know, they, I don't know if there was fear of Elliot, but they didn't try and test Elliot the way I expected them to. Yeah, I, I would say that would be the thing that, that stood out to me, too. I, I would think that when you lose a guy like that, now look, he, he he wasn't the Legion of Boom, Earl Thomas, but I thought he was still really good for them last year, particularly in that role in kind of eliminating attempts to the middle of the field, the deep middle of the field. So you would think, you know, when you've got Beckham and, you know, Landry's more of an underneath guy, but, you know, he can get down the field when they want him to um, and, and some of their tight ends that they would have taken, you know, some more shots there and, 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 and kind of, you know, tried to test that. But they didn't, to your point. So going forward, that'll be some. I want to keep my eye on that. I want to, you know, because, look, you know, good good offenses, uh, they're, they're going to look to try to exploit uh, a guy like Elliott, a guy like Clark. You know, Elliott, just because he hasn't had a ton of experience doing it, and Clark, uh, because I really don't think that's his strength. 
in terms mm-hmm. of deep, deep middle of the back coverage. End, no. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would think good offenses, and they're, they're getting ready to face two good offenses in back-to-back weeks, would look to, to try to, you know, take some shots there. All right. Well, that's the mailbag. As we wrap up this show, I do want to point out that uh, the new schedule, now that we are into football season, when the Ravens play on Sundays, this is what you're going to get. On Monday nights, we record the defensive breakdown, the podcast. Tuesday nights, we break down the offense. Wednesday nights, we'll get your Know Your Foe looking ahead. And then Thursday nights, we have a new podcast that will be released on Thursday nights uh, called, what is it, Numbers? What's key, the name of key, numbers, key numbers. We're, we're still working is. on the title here, but we have uh, Dan Dan Reese, another actuary, been on the show a number of times with his studies. We'll be doing it with me. All right. And then, of course, among all those podcasts are also the articles that are all over filmstudybaltimore.com, generally the day of the podcast that correlates offense, defense, and so on. Monday for the defense, usually Wednesday for the offensive line article. Right. So right now we want people to go on over to filmstudybaltimore.com, check out the new article, and here's what we're really asking you guys to do this year. We're asking you to share, promote the podcast, review, rate it on your iTunes or wherever you're listening to your podcast, share on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, and really help this little show grow. Michael, thank, thank you for joining us tonight. Again, you want to throw some more plugs out there and spell your Twitter handle for me? Yeah, that's that's really the only plug that I got. I'm uh, at Abukari on Twitter. That's A-B-U-K-A-R-I. That's where I post video clips and uh, my my ongoing battle with the ants, even though now we're in the fall, so that's kind of ended. Uh, so you get a little glimpses into my life uh, and, and a lot of football stuff, so... Battle with the ants, as in the bugs around your house? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, you oh, wow. you wow. clearly weren't tuned in during the summer, Ken. Clearly was, not. That was a – let's just say there was, there was a lot of references uh, to uh, a very famous show on HBO. I know we're not, we're not getting any sponsorship from HBO here, so I won't give out anything free. Uh, but there were a lot of references, and uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a long, drawn-out battle, but – Let's just say uh, the ants are a lot like White Walkers. Uh, they're, they're, they're hard to deal with. <laughs> All right. Well, I can relate to that, except I just hired a pest control company, and they got it all out. So if any pest control companies want to come on and sponsor the podcast, you are more than welcome. Michael, I'm sure you're going to be back on the show, um, maybe, maybe for the Know Your Foe when we play the Browns again in week 13. <laughs> yeah. There you go. See, I'm your guy, Ken. You don't even have to find anybody else. Just, just be, reach out to me. I'd be happy to have you on again, Michael. I just don't want to don't want to trade you over to the enemy here. They are uh, – boy, I wouldn't want to wish that on you either. Josh, tell uh, us about 336, buddy. Yeah, 336 is a uh, Baltimore sports podcast I do with my brother, uh, and I do it each week. Um, computer troubles today so new episode is being recorded tomorrow and it's a lot of focus on the Orioles some on the Ravens but a whole lot of focus on the Orioles and way more of a fan's perspective than the really detailed breakdowns that uh, happens over here on film study so check that out as well and Ken new articles up what else we promote now Uh, there'll be an offensive line article we're doing the we're doing the scoring tonight unfortunately the 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 Ravens offensive line didn't look fantastic, certainly in that first game, but uh, uh, Maureen and I working on it and, and I have to wake her up now. 
It's 11 p.m., but she completely understood that we're recording this podcast early, Michael, for you. And I have to wake her up again in the middle of the night to, you know, get her going again. But she's terrific. She'll she'll do that with me. Now, now that just makes me feel even worse than I already do. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm thrilled that there's this you know, wonderful woman who's decided she wants to spend her life with me that uh, will score offensive line play with me. And for someone that has to edit this show afterwards, I'm very thankful that when Michael comes on, we record <laughs> a little earlier. <laughs> now, I think it's fair to say this wasn't all Michael's fault today, but part of it is I haven't, I haven't seen Michael. I haven't talked to him on air in a while, and this is just one of the most fun things. It's week one. We're excited. Yeah, just, just make sure you got a, you got a long road trip whenever you, you hear, whenever you look and you see my name as a guest. You got a long road trip <laughs> or an extended workout. And you'll have plenty of time. All right, Michael, Ken, thank you again, and we will talk soon. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.